0: to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Taylor Rockwell and today I have questions about South American World Cup qualification, as you do. So I've got the athletics Felipe Cardenas uh, with me to make sense of things. Felipe, thanks for being here and apologies as always if I have already butchered your name.
1: You did not butcher Taylor. Uh, right. You did a great job. Thank as, you. As, as I knew you would <laughs> and uh, awesome to be here once again.
0: Yeah man, it's great to have you back. I feel like we have you on to talk Uh, Drama in Atlanta and MLS, and then we talk South American football a lot. (laughs) There is drama in Atlanta. There seems to be kind of perpetually these days. But we're going to focus on South America, if that works for you. Let's do it, man. All right. So we've got the first few rounds of South American qualifying in the books. Starting from a general perspective – Actually, let me ask you this first off. I was going to say like what I noticed, but the first thing I noticed is that it's difficult to watch some of these games. What was your procedure mm-hmm. for watching them? And uh, more specifically, what is Fanatis?
1: <laughs> okay, so Fanatis Thank you. is... is I, I discovered it, I would say, probably a year or two ago because I was looking for any way possible to watch Argentine Superliga mm-hmm. in Argentina. Uh, just to like scout players that Atlanta United or any MLS team may be interested in, and to get back to it, like I grew up watching Argentine soccer. Uh, I realized also that fantasies had the Colombian uh, first division, so I could watch my team, América de Cali, the team that I grew up um, idolizing as a kid. So it's an app. Like I got, I have Apple TV, or if you have a Fire Stick with Amazon or whatever it may be. You download the app. Um, it's about I think it's seven ninety nine a month. And then you get a bunch of channels in South America, not a bunch, but you get some good shows in South America, primarily Argentina based. And so you get those like talk shows that are very uh, not controversial, but you know, talk shows in, in, in Argentina that are about soccer are, you know, a panel of like six guys yelling at each other and talking about tactics or talking about players that aren't working or managers and clubs. It's very entertaining, but they also show a lot of games. So, um, what I did, first of all, I complained a lot when I realized that bm Sports was not going to cover the South American qualifying tournament because they did uh, last cycle for the last World Cup. And, you know, I think if you didn't know, if you notice know on Twitter, I think John Arnold, who co- does a great job covering CONCACAF, started the thread like, okay, so it looks like we have to go back to that age old. Uh, scenario where we need to you know drive to cr- random bars or mm-hmm. go to a friend's house who has like a, a weird cable box that's been you know uh, yes. hacked that you can get different channels and like that's what we, that's what i did my entire life whenever columbia would play my my dad would like take a drive us an hour and a half to chicago uh, from Indiana to Chicago, and we would watch these games in, in Colombian bars or whatever it may be, or he would climb up on our house and I could stall an antenna and almost die in order for us to watch World Cup qualifying. So again, after I complained a lot, I ended up buying, paying 50 bucks mm-hmm. for the Colombian package, which was the first two matches of this qualifying tournament. So it was Colombia... Uh, Chile, which was last night, that was the second match, Colombia-Venezuela was the first one Um, and so I complained and complained all week and then finally did that because I just could not handle missing those games
0: So you got the package, but I have questions about other things you've said Um, First off, not a lot of Colombian bars in Indiana?
1: (laughs) Not a lot of Colombian bars We We were one of very few Colombian families in northern Indiana in the 80s and 90s, so we had to do all kinds of maneuvers to watch world cup matches qualifying matches and it just became the things that we did and so uh yeah that's that just became part of my childhood
0: and then it sounds like part of your childhood was also watching grown men scream at each other about soccer uh in in the argentinian (laughs) uh, punditry world do you have a person you tend to enjoy the most who you find the most entertaining for whatever reason and conversely is there a person that you really don't enjoy you don't like their takes you don't like their approach to things
1: uh not so much but I know let me look at this guy's name. know his last name is Vignolo. Mm-hmm. Um and he he hosts a show on ESPN Argentina or ESPN Latin America. His name is Sebastian Vignolo. V I G N O L O. And he's a very popular name. He's a guy that gets like shouted out by Lionel Messi for, you know, thanks for the interview or thanks for always being that guy that gets it. You know, he's like a big personality, but he's very laid back and he's, he just knows how to manage big personalities. And he kind of stands in front of this big stage um, on ESPN. He used to be on Fox. He moved to ESPN. He has, he's in the middle of a stage. And like on both sides of him are like four guys that they just kind of discuss soccer and they have big interviews. He had Luis Suarez on um, right after he was essentially let go by Barcelona. Um, and he had already signed with Atletico to Madrid. And the first interview he did uh, was like a FaceTime interview with Serra San Zignolo on ESPN. And it was a great interview. It was like very emotional, it was personal. Uh, so this guy is a big time. And I just, I respect that he gets these big personalities. He gets the game. Uh, and the players tend to respect him too. I think that's always very key. All
0: right. All right. Now I'm excited. Uh, and now got all the more motivation <laughs> to. Uh, to keep up to date with my Duolingo lessons, so that I can understand what's being said. <laughs> I think even if I finish it, I still probably will not, because I'm going to assume there's some rapidity to the way they're talking.
1: Yeah, it's tough. I mean, listen, I know guys that that know like Spanish very well. You know, maybe they they're Spanish is a second language for them, but they understand it and they can listen to a game. But like certain accents throw them throw them off, and like an Argentine accent or a Colombian accent or. A Chilean accent can be like, wait, what did he just say? And there's different dialects and lingo and things like that. Um, I I think for me, like, since I've always been around um, Argentine football, like, as a kid, and I would watch it, and and my dad was a big fan, like, I don't – nothing really throws me off. and And now being around these players in MLS, like, you start to understand the lingo, how they say things, what they mean. But South America is interesting if you want. I mean, we can go down a crazy rabbit hole about accents and dialects because every country speaks like differently. And so it can be tough if you're just getting into it.
0: I do know I learned – not learned to, but I I started cursing in Spanish when playing soccer because refs would curse you in high school for – or would card you for cursing in English but not in Spanish. And I was then told that I I cursed with an Argentinian accent, which was maybe the highest praise I've ever received. So at least I've got that sort of background to go off of. I'm sure it's legit.
1: That's pretty legit. That's a a huge compliment. (laughs) And by the way, I did not have that luxury when I was in high school and I would speak Spanish and swear in Spanish usually the refs were latino yeah and they would give me yellow cards <laughs> so they would <laughs> they would say oh you're not getting away with that you know on my watch and i'd be like god oh, damn okay i forgot so well yeah, now i just I like to think life.
0: that you curse in english with an indiana accent and that makes me even happier <laughs>
1: I say pop. Don't I don't say
0: soda. Yeah. <laughs> and you live in Atlanta, and you say pop. I don't know how to feel about that. Um, but I
1: still do, man. Yeah. <laughs> all right.
0: Let's talk about some of the games uh, that happened. But first, from a general perspective, from what I was able to see, uh, I watched Brazil, Peru, and then I watched all the highlights uh, via dodgy stream. I did see a decent amount of rust in a lot of these teams. There wasn't uh, as much time for training. We obviously had some COVID scares, some players not involved, some due to injury. Uh, how much rust did you see and were there teams that you felt like really did improve from the first time you saw them until, say, their second game?
1: Yeah, I think there was rust. Like, if you go back to when, you know, football came back and the Bundesliga came back, there was the first two weeks were pretty bad. You know, everyone was excited to watch the games, but the, the quality wasn't there. Uh, I think that was the general perception of the first two rounds, but you know, surprisingly, when I you know when I watch um, like highlights and I watch these shows and I read about like what everyone is saying, that isn't like the, the key point. One of the key points is that COVID has changed the way these national team managers call up players. You know, in Colombia's case, uh, Carlos Catos, who's in his his first time now going through a qualifying cycle with Colombia. Um, you know, I think he called 26 players officially and it, it was because I, he knew that some players would not be able to make it because of, you know, certain COVID protocols. And so the players, two guys that I think would have started, Mateus Uribe and Luis Diaz play for Porto and Portugal, um, two very good players. Uh, one Uribe is a central midfielder that is a box to box guy that can score, that can tackle, recover, very technical. Luis Diaz is a young player that a lot of people don't know about, but, very pacey very dynamic uh, very dy- dynamic dribbler um, and very and key for the way Colombia want to play on those wings and they were not able to travel not because they tested positive but they were around somebody at Porto that had tested positive so they're part of like a contact tracing protocol which did not permit them to leave the country and so that already throws things you know, up in the air. And so he was, he had to call other players in and players that probably weren't just, they weren't going to play. They were just kind of emergency players. So I think that affected some teams. Um, but I, I felt like the quality on the field was, was pretty good. You know, honestly, I, I felt like both, like a lot of the clubs, other than perhaps Venezuela, that just wasn't able to get uh, a victory and then really put good football together. Everyone else looked pretty you know, well drilled, um, and I think that says a lot. A about the quality of these players in in South America, uh, the, the the fact that they've been able to play some games in their respective leagues around the world, whether it's in the Premier League or in South America or even MLS. Um, so I think that allowed these teams to come in knowing that they were going to play two games in seven days or so. Um, and and I thought the players performed well, top top to bottom. I, I felt like there was rust, but it wasn't like you're watching games like, wow, this is a terrible game. I thought the games were very good.
0: And then there's a distinct lack of fans as well. Which team do you think is hurt mm-hmm. the most by that? Who do you think benefits the most from having a packed stadium? Who has the most intimidating home ground?
1: Several. I mean, clearly if you go, anytime you go to Brazil, mm-hmm. um, you know, just, just the yellow shirt is going to scare a lot of teams, you know, that it's, 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 there's so much history there. And Brazil tends to, to play in different stadiums around the country. They don't stick to one stadium like other countries do. And so uh, I honestly believe like that leads to less of a home field advantage for Brazil. Um, but anyway, that's what they like to do because it's such a big product for the country. And so they kind of tour the country during World Cup qualifying. Uh, Colombia, for instance, they play in, in, in the coastal town of Barranquilla, which is very steamy, hot. And it's like the stadium is probably 65,000 people. They're on top of you. It's loud. Uh, it's it's a legit home field for them because they, they tend to play in late afternoon where it's, so the heat is pretty insane. Um, and, and the crowd is very, you know, it's very loud there. And so I think Colombia has suffered a little bit because they don't have that home crowd. Uh, Argentina is another country that tends to play in different grounds throughout throughout. Argentina so they don't have a big home field but when they play at for instance the Monumental River Plate Stadium it's just so hard to beat them there when 70-80,000 when people are there chanting and, and behind that team so there are certain grounds like Uruguay Paraguay uh, even Chile that every visiting team tends to struggle when they go to those stadiums they're historic stadiums but the, the crowds are always legit and so I feel like the big clubs, they're the, I'm sorry, the big countries are the ones that are, are, are perhaps suffering the most because it does level the playing field. That's what we're seeing in leagues around the world where you don't have to worry about going to Old Trafford and, and, and playing in front of a, a hostile crowd. It kind of level, levels the playing field. So that was, I think, the perception going into these first two rounds. Uh, and it did lead, lead to like very wide open games and, and a lot of gold, honestly.
0: And then uh, the COVID epidemic still raging around the world, but in Brazil, I would say, especially Um, not really asking you about your thoughts on COVID, because I'm sure you have them. And that would be a different podcast, Uh, specifically with Brazil. I wanted to ask you how much of a sense you get of how much politics and that national team mix, because uh, I think there were several people in that Brazil squad who were very publicly in favor of Jair Bolsonaro, uh, the current Brazilian president, who as I read today, I think is still fairly popular, even though I, I I would not say he has handled the the virus well. I'm wondering how much sort of, like, politics there is when it comes to that national team, how much those players tend to get involved in things, and if that makes them more or less popular in the country.
1: Uh, that's, that's a great question, because honestly, last night's game away to Peru um, was a game that the the big TV channels in Brazil, the big one is called Globo and they basically have monopolized football in Brazil for, for decades. They're, they're a massive company. I mean, you take, think of like Comcast and multiply it by, I don't know, 10 and that's Globo or more. They're a massive company. They, they, they've, they've made Brazil's first division, like a premium type of package and they show one game on like regular TV a weekend. And So, what happened yesterday it 's a great question Taylor because this is happening as we speak there was they weren 't able to to reach a deal to televise brazil 's away games during the South American qualifying and so last night, instead of um, a game like that being on a premium channel or a cable channel, it was the the, the Brazilian Football Federation made a last minute deal with um, bolsonaros. Mm administration and basically ran the game on state television for free. Um, and so that included commentators openly praising the very controversial president, uh, Jair Bolsonaro. Um, and, and it turned into a bit of propaganda for him while at the same time showing the very beloved national team play in a, in a heated qualifier against Peru. So uh, yeah, it's football and politics always mix I think in South America, especially now in Brazil, where you have a controversial president who has minimized the pandemic uh, from the very beginning. Uh, Brazil, the largest country by far in South America, uh, continues to struggle with with cases. Um, he is not generally loved by by the general public, but he does have his followers, um, and if some very prominent footballers have been publicly in favor of him. Namely, Neymar, who's a hat trick last night against peru so yeah i think that that made it kind of today when in reading the papers that was like a next another angle to the, the a very controversial game in lima where uh bar made a made a, a a very interesting introduction to south american qualifying this is the first time that VAR is being used um and then just in the brazilian in, in the, the aspect of brazil and the perspective from brazil now you have you know the most popular national team perhaps in the world playing games on on state television so yeah definitely an interesting development and and covid has obviously impacted every country in south america massively uh severely um and it's they have their own political issues like not i don't think it's as divisive as as we have here in the u.s like masks aren't political in south america people wear masks but lockdowns have been pretty hardcore um for for obvious reasons and it's led to some issues um with obviously employment and and the economy but uh it's something that south america in general has just struggled with you know Colombia is one of the countries that has taken it very seriously but it's still a country that where cases and and deaths continue to rise so just yeah a tough situation all around in, in in south america
0: you may have already answered this with the Columbia comment there, but are there countries in South America that you think have done a, a better job or, or just taken it more seriously, handled it more effectively
1: than others? You know, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't have enough data to say, yeah, like there's this is the country that has done the, the best. You know, all I know You're not is an infectious that...
0: disease st- statistician. I thought that was why we had you on the show, Felipe.
1: Get I it am together. not Come an on. epidemiologist. I can call my sister, who is a public health professional. I mean, you I mean, know the word. I clearly I don't, so you win her. on that front. Yeah. Yeah, I can say epidemiologist. <laughs> um, but no, so what I do know, like I follow Colombian news and football and politics somewhat closely, so I know what's going on there. I have family there. Uh, I know what they're going through. Um, and it's, it's it hasn't been easy. But what I know is that it's been taken very seriously. Public health and, and science is not... Diminished. It's more about like people, citizens, suffering through a pandemic, um, losing family members, losing jobs. Um, you know, in Venezuela's case, which is an, an, uh, yeah, basically a dictator in, in Maduro. Uh, Maduro uh, you know, you have, you have Venezuelans fleeing the country um, and trying to get, and coming into Colombia and, 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 namely Colombia, looking for better opportunities economically. Um, and so it's, it's been a struggle, but I think overall everyone is kind of in the same boat and that boat is, is, is treading lightly. Argentina, for instance, continues to struggle. They have not been able to play games in, in the first division. They're playing now like friendlies randomly every once in a while, but they're just now getting through going through like that, you know, kind of a bubble type of protocol, um, individual training uh, where players are just, you know, knocking balls against uh, a wall and, and going through drills and shooting on goal. And they're not doing, they're not even at the full team training aspect of their protocol yet in Argentina. So that says a lot about where and how COVID has impacted, not just football, but clearly, you know, these, these big time countries that, you know, export players all over the world and, and now are struggling to just get games going.
0: This episode of The Total Soccer Show is brought to you in part by LinkedIn. Small businesses have unique needs, and despite the current uncertainty, one thing that remains unchanged is the importance of having the right people on your team. Ask Manchester United versus, say, Everton. The right people can make a very big difference. When your business is ready to make that next hire, LinkedIn Jobs can help by matching your role with qualified candidates so that you can find the right person Quickly again, extending that analogy for a moment, maybe that's the thing Manchester United should do: is ask for very specific qualifications. You can kind of put them all in a resume. You can submit them, and then they could pick you that way. Uh, if you have sponsorship potential, I think that would work really, really well for them. If you win and score goals, that would probably work more for Everton. But if you're hiring for non-soccer jobs, they can also help you there as well. LinkedIn Jobs screens candidates with the hard and soft skills you are looking for, and puts your job post in front of qualified members every day, so that it's seen by people looking for jobs like yours, which is ideal. When your business is ready to make that next hire, find the right person with LinkedIn Jobs. You can pay what you want and get the first $50 off. Just visit linkedin.com/tss. Again, that's linkedin.com/tss to get $50 off your first job post. Terms and conditions apply. Thank you very much to LinkedIn for sponsoring today's episode. Hey folks, this is Taylor from the Total Soccer Show, reminding you that we are inching ever closer the start of the summer transfer window, which means there are teams that will buy and sell their players early. There are teams that will leave that business very late and there are teams that will operate in between. But no matter what, it's going to be a chaotic situation. There's going to be Thank you very much to Viore for becoming a sponsor of the Total Soccer Show. We're happy to have them on board. Viore creates premium performance apparel for both men and women that is inspired by the integration of fitness, surf, sport, and art. That's a good series of things to combine, in my opinion. The basic idea is that all of their products are designed for you to work out in, but then also not look or feel like gym clothes. It's supposed to be pretty clothes that feel comfortable that you can work out in. That's how I'm summarizing. The products are wildly versatile, can be used for just about any activity, from running to training to yoga to making a couch panini on a lazy weekend. You could do that too. They're that comfortable. Uh, I've been perusing their website, and I want to stress that this is not the copy talking. It's one of those sites where you can get sort of overwhelmed by the number of attractive choices. Your shopping cart is suddenly a house payment because you've added like 50 products. Uh, I'm particularly excited about the Ripstop jacket, which is a two-way stretch utilitarian jacket crafted with bellowed chest pockets, hand welt pockets, and a Teflon coating for increased fabric strength and stain resistance. If you, like me, don't know what hand-welted means, I've got you covered. Google informs me that, amongst other things, it means a doubled edge strip, insert, or seam, as on a garment, for ornament or reinforcement Reinforcement, in this case reinforcement, because it's durable. Viore is an investment in your happiness. For our listeners, they are offering 20% off your first purchase. Get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet at vioriclothing.com T S S. That's Vioriclothing.com T S S. And that website is spelled V-U-O-R-I-C-L-O-T-H-I-N-G dot com. Viore clothing. V-U-O-R-I. And again, you will receive 20% off your first purchase but you'll also enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75 and free returns if that becomes necessary. Go to viore.com TSS and discover the versatility of Viore clothing. Thank you very much to Viore for becoming a Total Soccer Show sponsor. Now back to the show. But with that said, Argentina, I, I believe, off to a perfect start. It's Argentina and Brazil on top of the table, which is, while that might seem fairly common, I feel like traditionally one of them, specifically Argentina, starts off slow or struggles a little bit, has those moments. For them to get two wins from their first two games, is that, a, is that an impressive thing for you, or do you expect them to sort of like run through competition a little bit?
1: No, I expect Argentina to struggle. not And not struggle where they they're in danger of not qualifying, but even though they have Messi and they have so many top players, uh, they, they just haven't been able to, to be a dominant team in South America for, for several cycles. Um, But the fact that they're on six points after two, two match um, two matches and and two match days and they, they've won both of their games. uh, They were tight matches, but you know, that, that puts them in a great position you know, Scaloni, their manager is still, under a lot of scrutiny. He's he's an untested uh, national team manager, uh, and, and he has been very open that this is somewhat of a rebuild rebuilding process and how do you get the best out of Messi and who are the players that need to surround him. And he's made some tough calls. He did not call in uh, Angel Di Maria, who really crushed it for PSG down the stretch at the end of the season in the Champions League. Uh, Sergio Aguero is, is still nursing, I think, like a, a hamstring um, and so he was not called in, but I still think Aguero is one of those guys that Scaloni likes. Uh, but, you know, when you don't have Aguero, you have Lautaro Mart- Martinez from Inter Milan, um, who who is just, you know, a top striker right now. So it is significant that Argentina is in a good place after two match days because they, to your point, Taylor, they do tend to struggle a little bit and, and fight for those top three positions throughout qualifying, or they just kind of run through it. But it's been a while since they've been able to do that. So, you know, the, the, the win in La Paz, Bolivia, which is traditionally very difficult for any nation to play in, um, it's it's at altitude, the ball flies, you are breathless after one sprint, and Bolivia knows how to play there, they train there, they 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 welcome these big countries there, like Brazil and Argentina, and say, we can beat you here. They be, they've beaten both of those teams numerous, on numerous occasions in La Paz. And so Argentina winning 2-1 there yesterday, it was their first win in La Paz in 15 years. Yep. We're talking about Argentina, man. You know, it's like, it's crazy that that, that, that for them, that was a historic victory. Um, and no one looks forward to going to La Paz. So yeah, I think it was a big time win for Argentina. And you discovered a little bit about that team. Now in Argentina, they still think it's Messi plus 10 other players. That's like the the, the ongoing Criticism of the national team that it's without Messi, the team cannot function, even when he's there, they don't function properly. So, they were heavily criticized after scraping by Ecuador in the first match day, uh, and then barely getting by you know Bolivia. But I think I feel like they have their options there. You know, Joaquin Correa, for, for guys that for people that don't know him, he's a striker that that I think he's 26 now, so he's not that young. Uh, but he was at Sevilla and now he's at Lazio. And I really like him. Like, when I randomly watch Serie A and I'll catch Lazio, I'm like, wow, this kid's good. Like, he's, he's pretty tall. I think he's 6'2", but, like, really good on the ball, really dynamic, um, aggressive, like an aggressive dribbler for, for his size, uh, just an aggressive player. And so he scored the winner yesterday. Uh, and, and I think that shows you that Scaloni is going to chess guys, and he's just looking for good partnerships with Messi. And so, so far, so good for them.
0: A couple different things I read about this fixture specifically. And, yeah, to your point, I think Argentina lost this in 2018 World Cup qualifying 2-0. A lot of what I read was that there's a reputation for the Argentina national team of being a little bit soft or not as gritty as you might need. And when they come up against these opponents at altitude, if it's a physical game, they don't always shine. Is that a fair, like, sort of analysis of Argentina historically? Or am I just reading the sort of same article reprinted a couple different times? (laughs)
1: I don't think it's historically, but there is a phrase in in, in Spanish, and it's, it's it's very it's widely used across South America, but definitely more so in Argentina, probably. And in Spanish, it's it's pronounced pecho frío," which translates to "cold chested." How about that? Cold yeah, chested. Yeah, that's right. Like uh, so it's not not cold-hearted, which is you know a different kind of personality trait but cold-chested is like someone that's soft that when you're under pressure in a big moment you don't deliver and so that has been a criticism that's been levied on on to Messi for years when, anytime he plays for for Argentina because he can't deliver in the big match which i think is extremely unfair but still uh, that that is something that is 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 used often to describe these you know these big players of big big countries when they show up for a big match, even in Colombia, Colombia Colombians will be like, no, nah, you know, you know, we're 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 us. we're cold-hearted, or we're cold-chested when we face Argentina. You know, we might beat all these other teams, but then Argentina comes to town and we struggle. We, we you know we 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 go into the fetal position, something like that. So, um, and, and and then you have a team like Uruguay that has never ever been like that. They're the team that's like the grittiest team in South America, one of the grittiest teams in the world. They're the team that will get get results, earn results just through heart and conviction. You know, so like so many countries in South America look up to that. They might have, you know, Brazil might have Neymar and all these skilled players, but no one has the grit and that belief in the heart of Uruguay. And so not even Argentina. So I think to your point, it's not something that is historically um, affected Argentina, but lately um, in, in the Lionel Messi era when they haven't been able to win big trophies and, and, and these, the competitions, the finals that they've been in, well, then that type of criticism has been definitely part of their history.
0: Well, speaking of Lionels, let's talk Lionel Scaloni for a moment, uh, the Argentina manager. As you said, like not necessarily a consensus appointment, but is still there. Uh, do you enjoy what you're seeing from him? And and more to the point, what are you seeing from him? What is his tactical approach? What like how does he set his teams up to play? Generally speaking.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the one thing that I've noticed is that he's he's emotional. Like yesterday, when when Martinez scores, Lautaro Martinez scored the. The, the equalizer, and he kind of ran towards the sideline to celebrate, the first guy that met him there was Lionel Scaloni, like, on the field. He, like, ran on the field and hugged his players. He was, he was, like, in that big pile of players that, like, hug each other after a goal. Uh, which, which, you know, I felt like that's very uncommon for an Argentine national team manager or any South American manager. They might be, like, fiery on the, on the sideline. Uh, But they're not running over to their players to celebrate. And so I think that says that Scaloni wants to be a man manager. You know, I think that's important to him. You know, he comes from the the, the youth system, I believe, like, kind of the U-20s and all that. And so he's used to dealing with younger players and, like, building them up and improving them and developing them. And, And Argentina has suffered culturally within that national team, you know, according to to reports, right? Like it's Messi and his friends. And if you're not Messi's friend, you're not getting on the team. And then it doesn't matter what manager they have. They just, they get things done tactically. It's a team that has not been able to forge an identity um, on the field. And so Scaloni, that that has been his, his goal. He's, I think he's a very much a four, three, three guy. Um, He wants to play somewhat direct, but, you know, I, I do see a little bit of conservative, conservative, ta- ta- conservative tactics where he's not you know, leaving his back line exposed. Um, and that's fine. I, you know, I, I think Argentines want to see dynamic play. They want Messi to, to dominate. They want all their skill players to be around the ball. Um, but it's just tough to do that when you're constantly changing that team. And so he, the team was criticized over these last two match days because the football was not excellent. Uh, but I think, like you mentioned, he's still someone that's kind of new to the position. Uh, I think, you know, his system is a 4 3 system. He wants to attack. He wants to press a little bit. I think right now, at times, and especially against Ecuador in the, in, in the game that they played at uh, La Bombonera in, in Buenos Aires, it was just a little bit too much individual players trying to make things happen. Um, and I think that's the criticism right now for Argentina, too too, too much reliance, reliance, not only on Messi, but on these players that come in like Ocampo that's just been dominating at Sevilla. And everyone wants to see him in the Argentine shirt, and he comes in and he just wanted to dribble past everybody. He earned a penalty, um, but a little bit too much of that. And I think that's what he has to work on, Scaloni, from a tactical perspective, like a little bit more collective play.
0: I also just enjoyed, like, with the winner with Joaquin Correa, I felt like I saw a lot of celebration from Argentina, both with the bench, with the players, Messi even, a big smile, some celebrating... That seems like it's a rare thing to me. I don't know if that's just from Barcelona or a a recent thing, but to see Messi happy, to see Argentina celebrating, uh, I think that's where that question came from. It was like, oh, this team seems like they're pretty pretty happy. Uh, Obviously, getting a result will do that. Uh, For Uruguay's part, you mentioned them previously. You mentioned Ecuador. They lose to Ecuador uh, 4-2, but they're on the road there. Ecuador is a similar situation, correct, to Bolivia, with uh, playing at altitude doesn't necessarily make them the easiest Mm -hmm. team to handle?
1: Yeah, it's really tough to play in Quito. Uh, it's it's similar to La Paz. I don't think it's as high, but it's just it's really tough. And Ecuador, they're a frustrating team. You know, like I think last World Cup qualifying for the 2018 World Cup, I may be mistaken, but I believe they won their first four games, and then they didn't qualify. They just crash out. They crash out at the end. They don't have any sort of consistency or longevity in these qualifiers, which is, you know, the South American qualifiers, it, it's absolutely brutal. Like every point is so important. You cannot lose points at home. You, you have to earn points away. Um, it's unpredictable. It's, it's even, even the, t- even the teams at the bottom of the table will, will, will challenge the big, the big countries. And so Ecuador is a team that I think has talent and now they have a young talent. Uh, they're, they're pacey, they're technical, uh, but they can defend. They're kind of a hard-nosed team that's learning to defend under Gustavo Alfaro, who's the former Boca Juniors coach. Who at Boca Juniors, um, and throughout his career, he's tended to be a manager that I wouldn't say like just defensively defensive-minded, but he does put a lot of emphasis on being compact and 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 keeping uh, you know a clean sheet. And so uh, he was a bit criticized for that a little bit at Boca, but. Uh, I think it might work with with Ecuador if you can get those young players in the attack uh, to combine with Valencia, you know, a respected and and veteran number nine. uh, And clearly they were able to do that against Uruguay. Uruguay just struggled, you know, in the altitude. Um, And Ecuador wasn't terrible against Argentina either. Uh, They were a bit unlucky to to not score. and, And I think they were way too conservative against Argentina. So they came out against Uruguay and really put it to them. Um, and just dominated them completely. So Ecuador is an interesting case study. It's, they're, they're a team that really no one wants to play them in Quito, but when they travel away, they're just not very good. They're not consistent enough. So this is going to be an interesting – they're an interesting team to me because they have talent. They have young talent. That U-20 team that, that beat the U.S., a lot of those guys are, are starting to play now with the senior national team. So some really talented players.
0: And just to kind of clarify what we're talking about with the elevation, I-, I looked up Denver to compare. So I hear this a lot. I hear about La Paz. I hear about Quito. Uh, for people who aren't uh, as aware, we have La Paz at roughly 12,000 feet is the elevation, 11,942. Uh, Quito would be 9,350. Denver is 5280. So, yeah, if you're playing in La Paz, you're playing yeah. double Denver's elevation right there. So you get an idea of the maybe... Right the issues with the oxygen and, and, and scarcity. Uh, but also for Uruguay, I'm wondering, do you think there were other larger issues or was this just the case that Ecuador played the right game, got it right, playing it out the door, it's always going to be a slog? Or are there issues for Uruguay with player selection or with even the aging nature of that squad?
1: Yeah, first of all, Ecuador deserves credit because I think I thought Alfaro's game plan was, was pretty on point. Yeah. They put Uruguay under pressure immediately. They scored when they had to. They were clinical in front of the net. And, and, and they put you know Uruguay on the sword immediately, like in the first half. But it's a great question because I think people look at Uruguay, and I even tweeted, I'm like, wow, when they when they sent out their squad for the qualifiers like that, they are scary good. But even though they have all that talent, and I think what's been what's being reported and talked about in Uruguay and just throughout South America right now about that team is that they are breaking into new players, and their top players, you know, uh, you know Rodrigo Betancourt, Federico Valverde, top uh, central midfielders who you and I talked about when they played against the U.S., they dominated that game against the U.S. They were just coasting through that friendly. They did not lose possession one time between the two of them. Uh, and they play, you know, Valverde, 22, I think, plays for Real Madrid, starts for Real Madrid, has been, uh, he's locked down that position next to. Casemiro, he's, he's almost sent Tony Cruz and, and, and Luka Modric to the bench. He's that good. And Biffencore is, is, is you know, a, a stalwart for Juventus. And he's so, almost as
0: good as Weston the McKinney. The talent is yeah. there.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, McKinney's going to have it tough to get into to that midfield. But, but, you know, Uruguay has all this talent. They bring in Brian Rodriguez from LAFC, who, you know, everyone knows how, how good he is, but he struggles a little bit in MLS to kind of, you know, that, with that final product. But Uruguay like him a lot, and he started in these games. But they're not gelling. They have too many kind of, like, key pieces missing. Cavani's out. Suarez was somewhat criticized last night for looking a bit overweight. I thought it was the wind blowing his shirt, like, inflating his shirt. But I had friends, like, screenshotting pictures of Suarez, like, no, look at him. You know, he doesn't look fit. But it's still Luis Suarez. You cannot count him out. Uh, Jose Maria Jimenez, the center back for El Ligo Madrid, is like a ninety center back. He's out. He's injured, and so Godin, the veteran, is you know had to play with a different uh, central central defensive partner, and they struggled. Um, and so that that was not that was not a good showing. I thought I think Uruguay is under a lot of pressure now. They have to go to Colombia, and they need a win. Uh, and so you go from a young midfield to a rebuilt back line, uh, and and Suarez really needing to carry that team. Uh, and, and it, that's a tough situation. But I think Uruguay, again, the, imagine the, what we just described with Ecuador, a team that starts hot and then can't finish. To me, this is classic Uruguay. Like, you think you had them down, you think they're in trouble, and then they just start climbing the table. They start earning results. Uh, and, and I think they'll do that. You know, I think they will still be in the top four, but I, I think they might be they might be the big South American nation that is the one that's kind of in danger throughout qualifying because you, the way they started is not is not promising. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with twenty four seven
0: U.S. based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right Hey folks, this is Taylor. I wanted to take a moment to talk to you about Credible, or more specifically, Credible.com. Credible.com is an online marketplace that allows borrowers with student loan debt to see refinancing rates across a variety of lenders. Basically, they've made it easy for anyone with student loan debt to review possible rates, find a lender that works, and refinance those loans to make them more manageable. Some benefits of using Credible to refinance your student loans are that you see actual pre qualified rates from multiple lenders, where Whereas with some online marketplaces, you'll get ranges of rates or ballpark estimates. And it only takes a couple of minutes to check rates, and checking rates doesn't even impact your credit. You don't want that. You don't want a big credit hit while you're trying to be responsible. They will also never sell your data, so you won't receive spam or phone calls from dozens of lenders. You can visit Credible.com slash TSS. That's C-R-E-D-I-B-L-E dot com slash T-S-S. And when you refinance your student loans via Credible, they'll give you a $200 gift card. Fill in a few pieces of info to check what rates you are eligible for. You can only get this offer through the show's URL. So again, that is Credible.com slash TSS. Finance your student loans and start saving. Message from Credible Operations, Inc. Not available in all states. Terms and conditions apply. Visit Credible.com slash TSS for details. Thank you very much to Credible for sponsoring today's episode. So get timeless looks with Modern Comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code TSS. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com promo code TSS to get 20% off your first order. Thank you to Mac Weldon for sponsoring today's episode. Today's Total Soccer Show episode is brought to you in part by Roman. Talking about erectile dysfunction is not easy. The prevailing approach appears to be to just brush it off or blame ourselves, saying things like, I lost my mojo, again, for Austin Powers, or avoiding it altogether with excuses like, I had a long day at work. Uh, with Roman, it is easy to talk about it, and it's easy to talk about it with a real healthcare professional who can prescribe real medication. It's simple, safe, and totally With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. That's ideal. A healthcare professional will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, Roman will ship it to you with free two-day shipping also good. The whole process is straightforward, simple, and discreet. Third, good. Getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com slash TSS and complete an online visit. Erectile dysfunction used to be tough to tackle, but now there's Roman. You can complete an online visit today to connect with a healthcare professional and take care of it. Go to GetRoman.com slash TSS today. Uh, if approved, you'll get $15 off your first order of ED treatment. That's GetRoman.com slash TSS. One more time, getroman dot com slash tss. Thank you very much to Roman for sponsoring today's episode. Now back to the show. Some potential uh, concerns for Uruguay, for Ecuador, a stronger start, obviously the win, a decent result. Uh, for you, Felipe, who are the players? And forgive me if you've already said a few names, but I wanted to go back to it. Who are the players that you think will be sort of key performers? will be the next names, so to speak, for Ecuador? Because I feel like for the longest time, it was like, oh, yeah, they've got Antonio Valencia. We know that much. Uh, like, I know Ana yeah. Valencia is still there. I know there are some familiar names. But are there other names that you think are poised to kind of get more attention, get a little bit bigger?
1: Yeah, I mean, let's start with a, a kind of unheralded. You know, Carlos Grueso, I think, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken, he played in the last place for FC Dallas. Yep. Uh, or he did. Um, and you know he, they have a strong midfield. You know they're tough. Uh, Moisés Caicedo, another guy, box to box. They have some really good box to box guys. Um, you mentioned the inner Valencia, who continues to play well, score goals, and dominate. Now, Diego Palacios, LAFC, uh right back uh, or left back. I'm sorry. He did not start, but he's a guy that's going to be in that process throughout. You know, in Alfaro's process. The guy that I think everyone should look up and look at the way he plays and, and, and learn more about him is Gonzalo Plata. I mean, the, he's a, he, he's a kid still uh, a teenager, if I'm not mistaken, but yesterday, if you look at the goal that he scored, it was so tight and like he gets in the box, he's left footed. So immediately like any lefty that's kind of clinical and a dribbler just can throw off any defender. And he's just, a very polished young player that I think if if the right club can fit him into a system, he can be very effective. Um, so Gonzalo Plotz is a, is, a, is a young South American that has been on – in South America, he's on everyone's radar. They know how good he is. He played really well at the U-20 World Cup. Uh, and they've been waiting for him, really, I think, at Eckwater, waiting for him to get mature enough to be an impact player for the national team. And so yesterday he comes on, I think, in the 69th minute or something, and if you go to, you know, whether it's sofa score or foot mom, like he ended up with like almost an 8.0 rating um, and coming on with just 20 minutes to play, but he scored a goal. He, he, he held onto the ball. You know, the goal he scored, he, he's in, he's like at the sixth and he dribbled the guy then rolls the ball to his left foot to kind of freeze the goalkeeper and then just slots it in. And so, these are young players that are kind of fearless, and, and I think that's great for, for Ecuador. So, you have another guy, Leonardo Campana, number nine that has been on every, every big club's radar for the last year or two. I, I still think that he's a good player. He just hasn't delivered at the national team level. He's been great for the U20s, and he's he's a good player, I think. But still, a, a bright future for, for Ecuador. You know, yeah. Inter Valencia can, can can move on. And they've got these kids coming up that can, that can step in. I mean, they might not be as clinical and as experienced as, as Valencia, but they have players that are beginning to find their spots in the senior national team.
0: You are not wrong about anything you've said but specifically Gonzalo Plata man looking him up uh yeah if you it's a South American left-footed teenager who plays on the wing scores scores goals creates chances and plays for Sporting in Portugal that feels like all the familiar symptoms of a 40 million pound transfer next summer so yeah I think that's definitely one to keep an eye on all right I feel I feel good about Ecuador I don't feel good yeah. about if the United States uh plays them again in a friendly cuz that could go Very, very poorly. I also don't want to play any of the other teams we're going to talk about, like, say, Colombia. I know you've got a vested interest in them. Uh, I want to start with a name you said previously. Carlos Quiroz, I completely missed that he was Colombia's manager. How did that happen, and when did that
1: happen? Yeah, I mean, after the 2018 World Cup, uh, Jose Peckerman, who had been the manager through both 2014 and through 2018 essentially resigned, you know, like he felt like his cycle was done. I think there was a little bit of, you know, federation pressure um, to, to move on from Peckerman uh, who to this day is, you know, probably the most successful manager in, in Colombian football history, like Pacho Maturana, who was the manager through the nineties clearly got them to 90, 94, 98. Um, but Peckerman kind of just changed the the culture of the country, got them to the quarterfinals in 2014 um It was able to manage these you know top players like Thomas Rodriguez falcao Cuadrado, Quadra- uh, bring them along and, and and somewhat set a style of play now he he was criticized after 2018 because he got a little bit too conservative, especially in that match against England, which i i, I you know it's it's still tough to to think about but I think Colombia could have won that game and moved on to potentially a semifinal in that 2018 World Cup but in the end, peckerman moves on. Um, and there was a lot of controversy in Colombia about who would be the next manager. And a lot of Colombian managers felt like they were, you know, as good, or if not better than a foreign manager, but uh, uh, then, you know, ultimately the federation went to what they felt was working, which was a foreign manager, uh, Pecker, Jose Peckerman Mendez from Argentina. Uh, and so they went with Carlos Cato, the Portuguese manager who, and had been Iran's manager at the 2018 World Cup, and then clearly a long history of coaching, you know, big clubs like Real Madrid, not necessarily very successfully, but just a well-respected coach, you know. And like I think, Carlos Queiroz is a didactic type of coach. He's well known in coaching circles around the world as just being very um, philosophical in his teachings, very, very much an educator. Um, and and he does have his system. He's, he's a 4-3-3 type of coach, but a coach that I think uh, wants to progress Colombian football, especially the national team, to what we see around the world as far as what modern football looks like. So 10 players attacking, 10 players defending, uh, direct play. And, and then at the same time, how do you make that work with the type of players that Colombia has? You know, most importantly, Thomas Rodriguez, who is a very classic number 10. He's not the guy that's going to chase you down, um, but he can play in that system. And so Carlos Cato so far, um, you know, the Copa America was not a great result for them, losing the penalties to, to Chile in the second round. Um, and uh, some of his selection for players has been criticized, but I think overall he's been a pretty decent in-game manager, when to bring on subs, who to bring on, Um, And and the thing is, this is his first South American World Cup qualifying cycle. And so this is where you're really tested. You know, my friends and when I read in Columbia, like they're like, I'm not sure, man, this is when we're going to know how good a coach you really is, because there's nothing like the Coleman Bowl South American qualifiers. It doesn't matter how stacked your team is. You really have to manage each game, each minute, each moment. And I think he's done that in these first two match days.
0: Uh, and they do end up, uh, when I was writing my questions, they were still losing to Chile. So I had some, some more negative questions, uh, but it finishes 2-2 courtesy of Radimo Falcao. Uh, did you, oh, does it make you happy to see him scoring goals? Or given that like there is the managerial change, they're trying new things, is it sort of like, oh, we're still going with Falcao to score our goals? That might not be great. I'm wondering where you are on that one.
1: Me personally, when Falcao scores, like I feel like I might cry. It's, it's, <laughs> he's that type of emotional player for for Colombia. Yeah, it's like I he, feel the same about. we invested artists. so much. <laughs> um, Colombians have invested so much in Falcao because at one point he was the best number nine in the world, and that's not an exaggeration. It really isn't. When he was 2012-2013 heading into twenty fourteen with Atletico Madrid. He was unstoppable. He was winning big trophies with them. He was dominating European clubs. He was scoring goals all over the place on anyone that stepped in front of him. And then he gets injured before the 2014 World Cup—a serious knee injury that just derailed his career and and it you know really scared Colombians. It's like how do we look at the luck we have? We have this striker that we've never had. And they've had some big time strikers, but no no one like Falcao. And so he misses that World Cup. There's always always going to be a what could have been. Even though they played really well in Brazil, but you know Falcao is still there. It's debated. It's debated daily in Colombia if he's one of the, if he is the best player that Colombia has ever produced. And you can go down the list and talk about you know players like Tino Espria, Carlos Alderama, Hannes Rodriguez, who is probably the most decorated Colombian footballer ever. But Falcao just has a different type of energy because he has willed the country through qualifying at times. The 2014 qualifiers, he just carried the team. He scored in every, pretty much every game, and he was just like dominant. He's a leader, you know. He's an emotional leader. To this day, when he comes on the field, Hannes immediately takes off the armband and gives it to him. So, when he scored last night, it was like this. It's like an emotional feeling. Now, there are some comment that are like he's done. He needs to go because we have Duvante Tapata. We have, you know, all these other players like Muriel and whatever. But. I feel like he's a player that if he can play and he can score and he's still active, you, 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 you need to play him. Like yeah. maybe he doesn't start because Duvon Zapata is at, at that level right now and he's scoring goals, but clearly yesterday and the way he celebrated, which he got emotional after he scored, it's kind of like, I'm still here. I can still deliver for this country. So yeah, I think it's, it's key to anytime you have a guy like Falcao you can bring off the bench. I mean, come on, who, what country would want to do
0: that? That's fair. That's fair. It was. It was good to see him. I kind of forgot about Falcao. I kind of forgot about some other names we're yeah. going to talk about later on. I have not forgotten about James Rodriguez. How could you? Uh, how is Carlos Kiro using him? Uh, historically, I feel like we've seen. Historically, I should. I should say, in the last like six years, we've seen. Like, James Rodriguez sort of front and center for this team. It seems like when they kind of build around him, let him do what he he wants and does best, they succeed. I think that's something that Carlo Ancelotti is doing. Is Carlos Quirosh taking a similar approach with James Rodriguez and uh, his version of Colombia?
1: I would say yes. I think what's great about being able to talk about James Rodriguez to your listeners is that I'm sure so many of them are Premier League guys and, and, and women. So they, they're watching the Premier League. They're watching. Now they're looking at watching Everton. And all of a sudden, Everton is fun to watch. And you see, like, this, you know, quote-unquote rebirth of James Rodriguez because he hasn't played much. But I think what you see in him is is a player that has just tons of quality. You know, like, uh, and he's a player that you, you can't dismiss. And that type of player that can be a 10, that can float in and out of midfield, that can start on the wing, that can – Play in a front three, and then as the game progresses, uh, find pockets of space in the middle, play on either wings. He is extremely accurate with his passing, extremely accurate, which is very important when, when, when in these types of systems where players are, are, are pushing forward all the time. Um, and when you're going to play against a compact defense, you may need to possess, you may need to open up holes, you may need to, to move people around with the ball. A player like James that can ping balls all over the field, um, and you can fizz a ball into his feet in a pocket and he can get out of it, that's pretty key to do. So, like, I think Cato, said, he said it, you know, before the match against Venezuela that, um, you know, he, I'm paraphrasing, but like, he would essentially be an idiot if he didn't use James Rodriguez. The way he's been using, it, but anyway, the way he's been u- being used in Everton by Carlo Ancelotti, he's a, that's how he has played always for Colombia. Though when he was struggling for for Real Madrid, and you know, Rafa Benitez had him playing on the wing, or Zidane had him in and out of the lineup, he would come to Colombia and Peckerman would be like, "Here's the ten shirt, mm-hmm. go create." And so that's what he's still doing. And When you look at Colombia's lineup, it's a four three three, like we mentioned before. Quiros is a very much a four three three guy. Uh, but as we know, a 4-3-3 is not always a strict 4-3-3. It can change. It can be very fluid. And Hamas, you know, at kickoff, you see him, and he's on the right wing. He's on the right, even the front three on the right side. He's like a, a, a right-sided striker. But as soon as the, the, the game begins, he's in the middle. He's on the left. He's on the right. He's getting on the ball. Um, he's helping the defensive midfielders, even the center back, play out of pressure if they're pressed. So. Um, he's in great form, and, and that's great for Colombia because he not only is he a good player, um, but he brings an attitude that, like a winning attitude. When they're down, when Colombia is losing, not every single time, but usually, Hamas is one of the players that's like, "Let's go!" He gets on the ball, he starts a free kick really fast. He he sprints to the corner. Um, and so he's a very important player to have in in good form. And and you can see that both against Venezuela and last night against Chile, uh, very much the same role that he's had with Everson.
0: Have you had any interactions with Thomas?
1: I have not. No, I just, I I, I need him to be as sweet as I think he is. (laughs) He, he tends. Yeah. I mean, I think he's, he's well-liked, you know, and he tends to be soft-spoken and, and, uh, a positive guy you know he's a yeah. dad and all that like I think he does clearly he is a superstar and I think some of that it's it's tough when you play alongside Ronaldo and Ronaldo you know supports you and you're on the Ronaldo's team right you're you're on CR7's like good side uh, that immediately elevates your status in as, as a star in this game and I think it, that happened to Hamas pretty fast uh, people forget he scored like 14 goals in his first year with Real Madrid and had like 13 assists. It was insane after that world cup. And so he has earned it, but I think, yeah, he's a player that has kind of gone up and down and, and, but I still think he's one of the top players in the world. He's proven it. So, you know, good, good for Colombia.
0: Yeah. Good for Colombia. Uh, currently third in the table with four points. Paraguay just behind them with four points as well. Uh, not quite as good of a goal difference, here is where I am with South American uh, football right now. There are some teams I know more about with Paraguay. Uh, I looked him up, and I was like, oh, that's great. And then I looked at their manager, and his name is Manuel uh, Barizo. And my question for you, <laughs> Felipe, is did I imagine that Juan Carlos Osorio was the Paraguay national team manager? Did that actually <laughs> happen, or was that some weird fever dream? Well,
1: first of all, it's Eduardo Ber- Berizzo. Oh, my mother's in. Uh, I don't even remember what you just what you just called him. You probably maybe you called him Fernando. I, I called him but Manuel. I think it's Manuel Eduardo oh, Barrito. Yeah, yeah. Okay, you went full name then. Okay, look at you. I did a quick Google <laughs> that's, that's, search that's of who is
0: Paraguay's coach. Is what I did. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay, so Eduardo Barrizo is Argentine. He's a mm-hmm. former River Plate, hard nosed defender in, from, from the from the nineties. And no, you you were not daydreaming okay. or. Tripping, tripping on acid or anything like that. <laughs> you know, Juan Carlos Osorio was, was at, at at one point. Yeah, he was the manager. Now he, he at the when we started talking about Colombia, you mentioned like how did Kairos end up at this? You know, in mm-hmm. the Colombian national team. So we can kind of this. There's like a little triangle, a love triangle between Peckerman, Juan Carlos Osorio, and Carlos Cados. Why? Because when Peckerman was on his way out, uh, Juan Carlos Osorio, Colombian, was. Recent, had been recently appointed as the, the new manager for Paraguay. And as soon as Peckerman started to kind of inch his way out, uh, Osorio was very public about that Colombia coaching, the Columbia national team was his dream job, which was weird because he was coaching Paraguay. Yeah. Um, and so that created a lot of drama. No, um, really? I can't in, believe it, that. Yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine that? Uh, <laughs> it was very controversial. He was, not, he was slapped by the, by, the, by the press in, in, in both Colombia and Paraguay, but mainly in Paraguay, who saw it as just a slap in the face. Um, and so it led to uh, a few weird decisions where eventually he just left the post. Uh, he left the post and he, he like even said, like, you don't need, don't pay me right now. Like while he was the manager, I, I want, I will not be paid while we're not playing games or for whatever reason, it was just like a bizarre episode. Um, and he left, he left the post and that's when they, they appointed Eduardo Bar- Baritza. So Juan Carlos Osorio now is the manager of Nacional de Medellin, one of the top clubs in Colombia and South America. But, but yeah, he was not there for very long. And so Baritza is like I mentioned, Argentine, um, and he's taken over this team that I think is somewhat similar to Ecuador. Young, um, clearly they want to build around Miguel Almaron, uh, but they're not the same Paraguay teams of the past that were veteran-led. That you know, Remember the way I described Uruguay, the only other country in South America that has that same type of grit and heart and, and culture of you know grinding out games through heart and and just physicality and belief is Paraguay. And they've traditionally been veteran led both from the back line through the midfield and up top. And now they're a much younger team. Uh, and I think they're, they're pretty dynamic, but you know, they're, they're very unpredictable. And I think, like I said, traditionally, like a team like Colombia or Brazil or Argentina, when they, they, they know they're going to face Paraguay, they're like, Oh gosh, we're going to play one of those teams where, lump the ball forward, win the headers, second balls, tough tackles, 90 minute game. And now Paraguay is like a team that wants to keep the ball, wants to be dynamic, wants to be clinical, wants to be technical. And so they're, they're finding their footing. Uh, But so far, so good, you know, four points um, out of these two match days, you know, an 86 minute winner against Venezuela Last night from uh, Gaston Jimenez, who plays for the Chicago Fire, yeah, uh, he He's a naturalized Paraguayan citizen. Yeah, he's he's a he's an Argentine, but he, he na- he's he's a naturalized Paraguayan, uh, and, and he's a very good player. He's a very good player, and so he gets that winner. And so they're an interesting team. I think they're a team that will be will be tough will be a tough out for a lot of for a lot of these countries. But again, they need to be they need to find a consistency because they haven't been that type of team for for a while.
0: And then the team that has definitely found its consistency, at least uh, from my vantage point, would be Brazil. They're top of the table, taking six points from the first two games. They've also managed a scant nine goals in that time. That's not bad. Uh, I, I feel like Brazilian managers are always sort of up and down. They're very popular. Then everybody wants them out. Then they're out. Then everybody wants them back, in Dunga's case, for some reason. Uh, I'm guessing Chi-Chi is a bit more popular, at least right now.
1: He is because he, um, I think he has tried to bring back, you know, the jogo bonito of Brazil. Um, You know, Dunga was was a a conservative manager uh, and and that just didn't sit well with, with Brazilians, even though Brazil has traditionally, and still does produce these like great defensive midfielders and, and and oftentimes, you know, hard-nosed central defenders. And so you can rely on that spine uh, to get through qualifying or to just earn results against countries from around the world. But I think now uh, Brazil is very much a, an exciting team, a dangerous team, a team that wants to get forward, that wants to blow you out. You know, they want to put three uh, they want to score three goals in the first half. They're, they're that type of team that will keep a defense backpedaling consistently. Um, and they're a scary team. I mean, you look at their front three, Neymar, yeah. Firmino, and Richarlison who it's funny because when you watch Richarlison for Everton you're kind of like what what are you doing and then all of a sudden you're like wow what did you just do like mm-hmm. he's he's kind of like an he, to me he's, a, he's he's a you know inside the box like he will finish but oftentimes he doesn't make the right decision like on a on a, in a, in transition for instance when he can just square it to the guy that's coming through or he'll try to shoot from an impossible angle but i think he's the type of player that when surrounded by better players, clinical players, like now with James, like he's going to produce. And for Brazil, he has been long, you know, kind of identified as like this, the, the next number nine of player that I think Brazilians want to, they want to see him succeed. And so, and then Firmino is just, you know who Firmino, the same thing that Firmino does for, for Liverpool, he tends to do with Brazil. You know, he's, he's like that floating nine that can kind of function as a 10 at time and drop into the pockets and then just let guys run off of him. Um, and in the midfield, you know, Coutinho's back. You know, Coutinho, um, is, to me, a top player, despite not having found his footing recently. But I think he'll do that for Barcelona now. is still probably the best six in South America, one of the best sixes in Europe. Um, and then D- Douglas Luiz, like, a, 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 kind of like an unknown player, but I guess probably the, the public, um, but very good for Brazil. Very good, can get up and down. Uh, the flanks can, is technical, can play inside-outside. Uh, and, and then clearly when you have a guy like Neymar, uh, that sometimes you watch him play and you feel like he's just doing it for fun or he's just out there like, you know, coasting and cruising and then he'll just put three past you. So, yeah, I think uh, the manager, Chiche, just understands that who Brazil are and I think he's really, really trying to to, to create or to recreate that identity of, of Jogo Bonito, attractive, dangerous, scary, attacking soccer.
0: Uh, and Neymar did overtake Ronaldo to become Brazil's uh, second yeah. all-time top scorer, uh, sixty-four goals, thirteen behind Pele. Feels like a record that he will be able to achieve, given that he's only twenty-eight. Uh, I have a broader question about Neymar. I think, like in the in sort of like especially in Europe, I think he's perceived a certain way, and I don't think it's always positive. From what you understand, what is his perception in Brazil? How popular is he, or is he a controversial figure in Brazil as well?
1: I mean, I think he's controversial for, for many reasons, but mainly just because he's, he's just a massive star. He's a global star. So I think anytime you reach that sort of echelon of, of, of sport, or whether it's music or acting, uh, when you're that popular, you're going to have. Um, I guess, controversial opinions levied towards you. So I think Neymar, you know, he was like the golden child, you know, at, at, when he was at, at Santos. He, he's always been like this prodigy uh, to Brazilians. And so, and I think one criticism is that, and he's kind of been babied by his dad, who was who also his agent who defends him no matter what happens. And he's had some some pretty messed up controversies, um, outside, you know, off the field, Neymar, uh, and, and his his dad has always kind of been there to to bail him out, you know, and and to and to call him a kid, even though he's how old 28? 28, Twenty seven, twenty eight, twenty eight. You yeah. know, so so yeah, he's twenty eight, and his dad calls him like he's a kid. He's just a kid. And it's like no, he's an adult, and he needs to be better off the field. And he Needs to be a role model, whatever it may be. And like we mentioned already on the call, he's been kind of openly supportive of a very controversial president right now um the equivalent of of kind of of a donald trump in south america that type of figure that type of public figure um that, that that will criticize press and criticize science and um minimize the pandemic and then you have a guy like neymar that kind of supports him so i think it's it's divided i think brazilians from a footballing perspective uh I think they cherish him because they know the type of talent that he has. And it doesn't matter when Brazil plays, the Brazilians want to see them win. They think they should be winning. They should be winning world cups. They can, they should be consistently good. And if a player like Neymar is going to get you to that level again, well, then, you know, he he will be supported, but uh, you know, he, he, he gets, he steps in difficult situations often um, off the field. And I think that's something that, that he has not been able to shake. And, and I don't think he will. I think he'll always kind of be that type of a public figure slash professional athlete.
0: I don't want to diminish like a- anything that he has done one way or the other. And there, I'm not going to add a butt here. This isn't an Ed Stark moment. But my question though, <laughs> is like, there's so many things that we do see reported about like he wants to fly back for his sister's birthday, or he has these things built into his contract. Mm-hmm. And To some extent, some of that does seem like genuine grounds for criticism, the diving, things like that. But there is also a part of me that, like, maybe this is the the part of me that majored in anthropology that wonders, like, how much of that do you think is – like cultural or cultural relativism a little bit mm-hmm. of like how much is, of his behavior do you think is sort of tolerated or just not cared about in Brazil when he does those things, when he does fly back, when he misses games, but then is at a party. Like, is that more accepted, do you think in Brazil for a player of his stature or just generally speaking than it is in say England or France?
1: Probably. And, and namely because he's not the first big time Brazilian footballer to, to, to behave that way. Yeah. You know, Romario was one of the first.
0: Dino would like a who word. would be yeah. like,
1: sorry. Yeah, I mean, first came Romario. He was like, peace, I'm going to Carnival in the sure. middle of La Liga.
0: Oh, yeah, right. I okay. forgot.
1: You know, and then, you know, when he was at Barcelona, Romario was like, uh, maybe I'll train today. Maybe, I'll, maybe I won't. Uh, but then he would show up on match day and completely destroy teams. Um, and so then, like you mentioned, when comes around, um and again, takes stardom and, and and mismanages it. Probably Lionel Messi one of the players who thinks who to this day thinks Ronaldinho is like one of the best players he's ever seen. Um and you know, there are stories and reports of Barcelona getting to a point where they tried to separate Ronaldinho from a very young Lionel Messi. They did not want them hanging out because they felt Ronaldinho was a poor influence. Um, you know, he loved nightlife. He was the same type of person that like could not miss Carnival. You know, in in, in Rio, which to your point, from from an anthropological perspective, Carnival is very important to Brazil, to and to Brazilians. Mm. It's, it's a massive event. It's a cultural event. Um, I think it gets misconstrued as like just a party. Yes, it's a, it's you can equate it perhaps unknowingly to yeah. something like Mardi Gras. But there are very deep, you know, cultural references, and there's an important cultural perspective about about carnival that Brazilians, um, you know, that may, it's very important to Brazilians, and that includes footballers. Um, so, so yeah, I think is it is it more accepted in Brazil? Perhaps, you know, maybe maybe because there there has been a precedence of other players, and maybe not just big time players like Romario Ramar, and Ronaldinho, maybe local you know the, the 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 striker for atletico paranense in the 90s who would do the same thing who knows i think it's something that a lot of brazilian footballers just tend to do now neymar like i said it's 2020 um everything is online everything is on people's phones um if you're at that stature of an athlete i mean your resources are insane so you can jump on a private jet and fly in and out of uh, different continents for for dinner or to be at your sister 's birthday and then fly back to Paris and still be on time to play a match day in, in, in league on so uh, it, I think Brazilians and again i 'm not Brazilian, and so i don 't want to misspeak or, or, or generalize, but like I said before, I think when it comes to the national team, their success is so important to that country that a player like Neymar they just want him to be healthy in good form and perform for Selecao, you know, when they play when Brazil plays, Neymar has to be there, bottom mm-hmm. line.
0: Yeah, that all makes sense uh, entirely. I think I yeah. I'm <laughs> lately sort of very into the idea of so, I was just trying to, uh, whenever I like start a sentence before I fully process what the person has said, it takes me a moment. That's where I was. So, I don't want that to sound like I was being like, oh, yeah, <laughs> you made it actually a good point. I don't want to say actually ever. But what I am into is the sort of like just the idea of how little we know about footballers and their personal lives and yet how willing we are, myself very much included, to speculate on it. And like the one that came to mind is, I forget who it was. It was a player talking about how like, the, it, was, it wasn't it was the Mourinho one, but it, it was a similar thing of like their dog dying and how they had a really bad game and everybody was like, oh, they're out of swords because this player came in and it was like no my pet died and i just i think about that a lot about how often j- to your point like people see neymar wanting to go to carnival and think like why just stay in paris and drink it's not a big deal like if you want to get drunk get drunk and it's like yeah. well no there's a lot more to it and i do think about how oftentimes like the lack of cultural awareness changes the way we perceive players and countries that said neymar does some stuff himself that doesn't really make him the most easy to he defend does. unless you are his dad uh so there is that part too i mean sure. <laughs>
1: Listen, listen to – this is classic Neymar. After PSG loses the, the, the Champions League final, the Bayern Munich, you know, ne- uh, Neymar is on the bench, and he, he's, he's emotional, he's crying, and, and you know, it's believable, right? Like, yeah. Just because he is who he is, he wants to win. You know? he, he, he still wants to lift trophies. He has that pressure as well, very similar to like Alino Messi. Like, what have you won? Um, he wants to be a top player. I think he is a top three player, no doubt. Uh, but you know it, it, you, they have to win more than just consistent domestic titles in 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 paris so they lose the champions league final the cameras catch neymar crying on the bench and immediately twitter blows up with pictures of uh maluma Who so i don't know if you maybe you don't know who maluma is but he is a uh he's colombian and he is uh, i'm not gonna say rapper he's um reggaeton he's a reggaeton which is a um, very popular in South America the Caribbean the form of I guess Latin rap whatever you want to call it um, you know J Balvin it's like there's J Balvin and then there's Maluma they're both Colombians they're very popular so they, PSG loses and Twitter blows up with pictures of Maluma wearing a Bayern Munich jersey from I don't know some party ages ago kind of giving the thumbs up and it's in the controversy is because Mom, girlfriend apparently kind of left him and was talking to Neymar. And Neymar had to like say, We're just friends. And it's like, See, like, this is the type of thing that he gets himself yeah. into. Um, and so I think that's like classic Neymar. You know what I mean? Like, uh, after losing a final, you go on Twitter and there's all this like junk gossip about, you know, a girl and a rapper and Neymar. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> man. Neymar, come on, (laughs) but it is
0: what it is. <laughs> I mean, that's a pretty solid burn, though, by Maluma. So, w- well done there. If it was intentional, <laughs> which I'm assuming it was. There are other players for Brazil. Uh, my final question for you is about some of them. Specifically about Brazil, are they, like, weak at all? Because I look at, say, their bench, which was Ederson, Alex Telles, uh, Fabinho, Rodrigo, Mateus Cunha. Players that weren't even on the roster would include Artur, Gabriel Jesus, Alison Becker, uh, Alexandro Willian, to name just a few a lot of depth, which is not a new thing to say about Brazil, but the way they're scoring goals, the kind of chemistry they do seem to have, the players that are at their disposal. I'm wondering if you see any vulnerabilities within this squad or if we should just go ahead and give them the 2022 World Cup right now.
1: <laughs> they're, yeah, it's tough to poke holes in, in, Brazilian, in Brazil's 18-man roster. Uh, but but they do have holes. You know, I think the, the back line is still, despite having some really good players like Renan Lodi and Thiago Silva, who's you know at 36 on on you know on the way down on, on his way out of of international football, but still gets called up. Man, they you know they still rely on on, on Thiago Silva who's now with Chelsea. Uh, Marquinhos, uh is his partner, a younger partner, uh, very good, you know PSG defender, and then Danilo who was once uh, with Real Madrid. Uh, it's kind of floated around, but like in Brazil, they, they love the guy because he is a, a, a kind of a hard-nosed right back who, yeah, he can get up and down the, the, the flank, but he's not super technical. He's not going to whip in balls like Renan. Renan is one of the best left-sided players, I think, in the world as far as when, when it comes to delivering a ball. Danilo is like the tackler, right? The guy that will stay home, tackle well, uh, distribute well, play composed. And so I look at the back line and I think like, okay, perhaps you can try to target Renan who's going to beat up that flank, um, but you need to be clinical because uh, if you get caught and, uh, you know, and you leave space behind you well, waiting for the ball is, is Coutinho or, or even Neymar can be, can pop up in that spot. So, um, and, and you look at the bench, like you mentioned, you know, Chiche isn't just, Going to Europe and bringing in all the, the players from Brazil that play in Europe and then stacking his team like he sticks locally he's got a couple guys from Flamingo um, you know and then everton, I think we know is like a young player that could start on any national team around the world, but he's still trying to fight his way into this starting eleven but he comes on like last night and was immediately impactful and influential so uh it's a mix it's a mix of young players, a mix of um, some some veteran players in key positions like Casemiro, Thiago Silva, etc. So, yeah, I, I mean, not they're already a favorite for the 2022 World Cup because they are Brazil, but also because of the talent that they have and the way that they kind of find ways to win. You know, they're a tough team to defeat. In um, and, and South America, there have been times where they've struggled, but right now they look like a team that... can can run away with it. They can run away with qualifying and be at a certain position, perhaps in the middle of qualifying, where the matches aren't as crucial for them, which is what every country in South America would die for, to be in a position where every match is not do or die, every point is not going to move you up and down one spot in the table. And I think Brazil right now is the only team probably in South America that will probably potentially be in a position where, they might be able to rest players in qualifying. Um, and like you said, they are a deep squad. So, yeah, imagine that. Uh, not surprising, yeah. though, because I think you look at their front line, you look at the way they attack, how they score, and what we've talked about, what the manager expects from them. And, yeah, they can. I think they'll dominate in South America. and They'll have some tough matches, clearly, but uh, I think they will be top of the table throughout.
0: Excellent. All right. Well, if they're not, I'm sure we'll have you back on to talk about it, but we'll also have you back on to talk about lots of other things South America and maybe a little bit Atlanta. But for now, Felipe, thank you very much for taking all the time to talk all things South American football with me today.
1: Anytime, Taylor. Loved it. Loved being on the show. Shout out to all your listeners. Be good.